You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. At this time, we ask that you turn off all cell phones. Unless, of course, you're using them to listen to this podcast, in which case, please keep it on. And please refrain from any flash photography, as it is dangerous to the performers of this podcast. Please be advised that this production may contain strobe effects, loud or sudden noises, nudity, and but probably not. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square. Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway's successes are in Times Square. (laughs) Oh, ye of little faith. Kill the pig. Kill the pig. <laughs> you cannot. I'm sorry, I don't see because it's... <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, <laughs> where we discuss Broadway flops, scandals, and new works. Who fails, who sues, we tell their stories. Yes, we do. <laughs> and if y'all were confused, mm. there's a good reason, because we were chanting, kill the pig. Yes, we were. And that can only mean one thing. Carrie? Carrie the musical is today's episode. I can't even tell you how excited I am about this one. (laughs) And this was actually when we were first talking about episodes that we were going to do for this podcast. I literally went, can I do Carrie? Can I please do Carrie? (laughs) (laughs) And Ebony relented. (laughs) I was like, honestly, I was like, I don't know how much pig's blood I can handle. (laughs) So if I you love want that blood. one, you can have it. Blood. But awesome. I'm really excited to hear about what it what happened. But you know what? You're going to have to wait because we need to talk about what we did this week. Yeah. What did you do? So a few days before <laughs> I saw Dear Evan Hansen, I saw a significant other. Oh, uh, the play with the play. Lindsay Mendez. Yes. Who else is in it? Uh, Gideon Glick plays the lead. Okay. His name is wonderful. I know. I love I'm it. I'm like. I can't believe that's a real name. Our that's shows name. are full of wonderful actor names. Yes. Again, other. Um, the story goes, there's this young man who's in his late 20s, and he has three close girlfriends. Um, and he is gay, and uh, his three closest girlfriends are straight. 
And um, he's known them all throughout their college years. Yeah. And obviously passed. And so they're all in the workforce now living their lives. And the story takes you through as each one of them gets married. And the last one in the story to get married is the is Lindsay Mendez's character. And her and Gideon Glick's character are best friends. Oh, that's nice. At the beginning of the show, they joke about like, you know, if they um, <laughs> if they got married to like have kids um, even and then they were like, but how would we make those kids? And he's like, did you did you want to have sex with me? And she's like, ew, no, ew. <laughs> because they're like such good friends that they're like brother and sister. So yeah. there's like that platonic super platonic line that you just is you, you don't want to even think about crossing it no so um they were just like artificial insemination they were like ivf <laughs> uh but which they is didn't have to because she was gonna get married yeah and the and she does she does she gets married so um oh man their scene at the um at her bachelorette party was <laughs> it was amazing yeah tell their me scene together was so good i mean it's just he so Gideon Glick's character really wants to be in a, a, a um, committed relationship. He wants to get married and he wants to uh, have children. However, that is. Yeah. Whether it's adopting children or having a surrogate, he really wants children. And um, it's just really difficult for him in dating. A, he does. He did remind me a little bit of Evan Hansen, where he is a little bit socially awkward. Okay. Less so than Evan. Evans is extreme. Yeah. But Gideon's character definitely has some difficulty. He's a little awkward. He's so precious. Like, he's so <laughs> precious and uh, just a bit off kilter. And one of my good friends, who is also my theater kid, I watched the show and I got so emotional because I it felt like, I mean, he's also an actor. And so I was at intermission and I texted him and I was like, this show this show is so good, and I need you to play this part. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like I was watching him on stage. Yeah. He He's gay. He wants to be married and have kids. And he's like, he feels like he's watched all of his friends go off and get married, except obviously me. And I was like, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> he's like, you're like my only girl girlfriend, though, because... <laughs> because I'm the least main, like I'm the least maintenance. Like I don't, I'm not. I don't talk about boys every two seconds. Yeah. Like, does this boy like me? Can you like sit here and like overanalyze this little piece of whatever with me? Like I don't do that stuff. Nope. Do you know who will never get married? Who? Carrie White. Why? <laughs> That's my segue. Do you? Want <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, and I can't imagine that there are very many of you. Uh, Carrie the Musical is based on a novel by the same name by Stephen King, who also made a movie. Well, Stephen King didn't make the movie, but his book made a movie. (laughs) His book is sentient, apparently. Um, (laughs) And the screenplay of that movie was written by Lawrence Cohen. Uh, The synopsis of Carrie again, for those of you who don't know, is basically Carrie White is a misfit. And at school, she's an outcast who's bullied by the popular crowd and virtually invisible to everybody else. At home, she's at the mercy of her loving but cruelly overprotective mother. But Carrie's just discovered she's got a special power. And if pushed too far, she's not afraid to use it. Mwahaha. Wait, I'm sorry. I do have a question. Okay, please. 
So this soon you said in the book, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the book, she's loving. She, uh, you know what? I, this might be the synopsis for the musical, actually. Okay, because I was like, she's not loving in the in the movie. No, she's, she's horrible. Not, this is the synopsis for the musical. She is not loving at all in the book. And in the okay. book, I feel like, and I, it's been a long, long time since I've read the book, and and even longer time since I've seen the movie. Although that's not actually possible. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, in the movie, wasn't it that her mother was raped and then she had Carrie and it was out of wedlock, but because there's this super religious element, she kind of blamed Carrie. And because Carrie was also a woman, she, you know, has to, you know, it teaches her all of these things to quote unquote protect her from men. And so, in, mm-hmm. in order that she doesn't fall victim the same way that she did. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. I'm not. It's. I saw the movie one time. I'm researching Carrie the musical, not Carrie the novel. I'm sorry. I don't have all the answers. (laughs) But But, I think that that's what I recall. Okay. so But you're right. This is the musical synopsis. So she was a loving mother in the musical. Yes. Although, I mean, even in the musical, loving is a term that I would put quotes around. Okay. You know, it's not necessarily going to be like my kind of loving mother who was also fiercely protective of me. Mm-hmm. She still, you know, locked her in a cellar whenever right. she felt like she needed to be, you know, behaviorally euthanized. That's a terrible way of saying that. Uh, you know, whenever she felt like she was getting out of control. She to be, it was her form of discipline. Exactly. Um, and she, you know, definitely would yell uh, Bible verses at her and all of that stuff. So okay. that's still similar. So maybe the person that wrote this synopsis just used the word lovingly just in a, maybe it was like an ironic way. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But that's a good point. Um, so Lawrence Cohen, as I mentioned before, wrote the screenplay, mm-hmm. but he also wrote the book of Carrie the Musical. Mm-hmm. And this is fascinating to me because he was inspired in 1981 by a production of Albin Berg's opera called Lulu at the Met here in New York. Mm-hmm. They decided that if Berg was alive then, when he wrote this mu- this opera, he would have based his next opera off of Carrie as well. They were convinced that that was the next step. I have to tell you about Lulu because, okay. like, I mean, it really does kind of... I, I can see where they were coming from, uh, Lawrence Cohen and... Dean Pitchford and Michael Gore. Those were the three that I'm talking about when I say they. Um, Let me just go through that. Lawrence Cohen wrote the screenplay and the book for the musical. Dean Pitchford wrote the lyrics and Michael Gore wrote the music for Carrie the Musical. So Lulu was saved from the streets at 12 years old by writer. Like none of these people have names as far as I could tell. So they're just their titles. Okay. Writer. It's kind of like Merrily We Roll Along. Kind of, yeah. Best pal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, writer. Uh, Lulu is the only one with a name, apparently. Lulu kills the writer's wife in order to take her place. But writer decides to marry her off to the doctor instead. But Lulu has an affair with the artist. The doctor sees the affair and has a stroke. Lulu marries the artist. Meanwhile, the writer gets engaged, tells the artist of Lulu's past... The artist kills himself. Lulu extorts the writer to marry her, but she is unfaithful with the writer's son. <laughs> she tells the son she killed his mother. Writer overhears this, gives her a gun, and tells her to kill herself. She shoots him instead. 
and goes to prison where she escapes after a year and flees with the son. She's discovered and blackmailed into prostitution where on her first day, as you do in prostitution, have a first day, a client kills the son and the last client of her day, because apparently she had to keep on going after the son is killed with her clients, the last client of the day ends up being Jack the Ripper who kills Lulu. Okay. Wow. I know. Wow. So any questions about that? Because that was a lot. That was Lulu, the opera that inspired them to write Carrie the musical. Now, I actually think that there is a basis for finding an intrigue in writing a musical of Carrie. And Mm -hmm. I actually really enjoy the kind of gothic and kind of dark, fantastical, bloody musicals uh Jekyll and Hyde Sweeney Todd like mm-hmm. the, these those kind of musicals that kind of show you the dark side of humanity mm-hmm. and it I just love that I kind of love to see what what I could be if I if I didn't choose every single day to be a good person right. does that make sense mm-hmm. anyway so <laughs> so in August of 1984 They have been writing this since 1981. In 84, workshops for the first act was staged with Annie Golden as Carrie. Love her. (laughs) Uh, Maureen McGovern as Mrs. White. Laurie Beachman as Mrs. Gardner. And Liz Calloway as Chris. Like, what a fantastic cast. And that's just the first act. Like, they don't even have a second act. (laughs) So at this point, it's still a happy ending. (laughs) Not for long. Mm -mm. At that point, it was announced that Carrie would open on Broadway sometime in 1986. Uh, But they couldn't get the funding until ultimately 1987. So they've given themselves two years, which I think is actually pretty smart. Mm -hmm. They're like, we we are going to take this to Broadway. It's gotten some it's gotten some good feedback from this workshop. We're going to take this to Broadway, but we're going to give us ourselves a couple of years. We're going to really, you know, finish the second act and then really work it. So February of 1988, apparently they got the funding but didn't quite go to Broadway yet. This is in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is in the UK. They do a tryout with Barbara Cook, (laughs) Charlotte Dambois, Darlene Love, and Lindsay Hatley. I never know how to pronounce Lindsay's last name because it's spelled H-A-T-E-L-Y. I'm just going to say Hatley because I don't like the sound of Hatley. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, so Lindsay Hatley. And it was actually Lindsay's stage debut as Carrie. Like, like not her, just Broadway, her just entire stage, stage oh. debut. Yeah. Uh, and by all accounts, she was amazing. But mm-hmm. I'll get into that a little later. Uh, this was a co-production with the Royal Shakespeare Company, which mm-hmm. I found so fascinating. Yes. So fascinating. <laughs> uh, but there were tons of technical problems. There were script issues. The mic shorted out when Carrie is doused with blood, which is kind of important to mm-hmm. the whole show. Rewrites are made after every show. Barbara Cook resigns when she is nearly decapitated by a set piece, but she ultimately stays until the end of their run in the UK before moving to Broadway. She is quoted, I love this quote so much, and it's a long one, so so bear with me, but it's good. When someone first mentioned to me, this is Barbara Cook speaking, that they were doing a musical of Carrie, my first thought was, you've got to be kidding. Then I heard the music and thought some of it was quite good. I was still wary of it because of the subject matter, but Terry's vision, Terry Hands is the director, uh, Terry's vision of the material intrigued me. There were many, many things about the production that were ineptly done. 
A lot of it came from lack of experience. For some unknown reason, they were not willing to get people in who had experience with musicals and listen to them. Mm. I'm not at all sorry that I did it, but I did absolutely the right thing in leaving it. I thought, again, this is Barbara Cook, there isn't a chance in hell they'll be able to pull it off. They really didn't have any ideas how to fix it. Things were really set in concrete, and they did nothing but polish the same killing dance numbers. Going in, I thought, this man is the head of the Royal Shakespeare Company. If a scene isn't working, he's going to see it's not working. Well, he didn't. Wow. That was her quote. So, like, that really gives you a really good idea of what was going on in the inner workings of this musical. So they just... And this is something that I feel like is a linchpin to all of the musicals that we are doing on this yeah. podcast. They just can't see past the project to bring in people that need to be there or to listen to the ideas of the people that are there. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, and so basically they just made tons of cuts, but they didn't actually fix anything. Mm-hmm. April of 1988, it transfers to Broadway. Hatley and some of the other UK performers stayed on, but Betty Buckley (laughs) replaced Barbara Cook. I love me some Barbara Cook, (laughs) but Betty Buckley. (laughs) Oh, love, love, love. Buckley was actually the original gym teacher in the film, too, which I just love that kind of crossover. I love it. (laughs) April 28th of 1988, the Virginia Theater. After the final song, boos were heard mixed in with the applause. Ooh. I know. So now I'm going to tell you about a book that's been written by a man named Ken Mandelbaum. It is called 40 Years of Broadway Musical Flops, Not Since Carrie. (laughs) He has based his whole premise Mm -hmm. of this book of Broadway flops on, is it is it as bad as Carrie? Like that is basically, and like, yeah. and the way that it's written is very much like that. He'll go into like, oh, Kelly the musical, blah, blah, blah. But not since Carrie have we had such a bad <laughs> flop. Like it's really an interesting read. Um, this is kind of coming from him. Ken Mandelbaum was a theater critic and he was the author of Not Since Carrie. He writes of an audience that was divided during early previews, the curtain calls of which were greeted with a raucous mix of cheers and boos. However, in an instant when uh, when Lindsay Hatley and Betty Buckley rose to take their bows, the entire theater turned to a standing ovation, which I think is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. It's and it's a real testament to how good they were. May 12th of 1988, they were hampered by scathing reviews, and despite the sold-out audiences every night, financial backers pulled out their money. May 15th, the show closed after 15 previews and 5 performance. This ended up being the most expensive quick flop in Broadway history, meaning I think just it was so quickly over And it still ended up being a flop. I think that was what they mean by that. It ended up losing, at the time in 1988, $8 million. But you know I like to Google me. $16 million was what it ultimately lost. So what went wrong, you might ask? I'm going to tell you, because I have it written right here. (laughs) 
The book was essentially the screenplay. It was by the same writer, Lawrence Cohen. Mm -hmm. But the dialogue was mostly cut, as well as several scenes that not only would have made the play much more realistic and plausible, but also demonstrated Carrie's telekinetic ability. So they basically took out all of the script that was so good and what and that's what made the movie so good. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of any mention at all about Carrie's special powers, which is kind of also really important. Wait, wait. None of Carrie's powers are in the musical at all? Originally, I think I might mention this a little bit later, but originally, yes, there were a couple of scenes that were that were still in the show at that time that showed her, you know, closing all the windows in the mm-hmm. house when she gets angry or, you know, the light bulb bursting. But at the end, like once, you know, once they got to previews and performances, it was really just a light bulb popping and then everyone dying in the gym scene at the very end of the show like it that's like the most interesting part i know well and it really that that puts the window into what is wrong with carrie and where how she gets to be this way and what really pushes her over the edge so yeah it is really interesting but it's also it's so sad to me because Lawrence Cohen wrote this amazing screenplay. All they had to do was adapt it slightly for stage, mm-hmm. and they would have been set. Mm-hmm. But instead, they just added all of these not-so-great songs and, by all accounts, horrible dance numbers oh, no. by Debbie Allen Aww. of Fame Fame. I, yeah. I love I love me some I Debbie really Allen, but I Debbie will Allen. also say that a lot of the stuff that she does is all very the same. It's all that kind of very energetic, but there's no real storytelling mm-hmm. through the dance. Mm-hmm. At least that's my opinion. Um, but anyway, so also what went wrong then was were fantastical elements were added in. Um, like, and I'll tell you, for example, at the end of the show, she has, and spoiler, I don't know. You all know. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the show, she's killed all these people in the gym. Her mother confronts her on a giant staircase that is supposedly supposed to lead up to heaven. It's this giant white staircase to heaven, and it comes out of nowhere. Okay. Comes in. Carrie's mom confronts her. Carrie kills her mom. And then Chris, who was the kind of sweet girl, uh, still kind of a mean girl, but was the nicest of them, came and comforts Carrie as Carrie dies on the stairway to heaven. So, you know, fantastical elements like that. I think and I I think what they mean by uh, fantastical just means that, like, if they had kept the show with a semblance of plausibility Mm -hmm. that it would have been much better received. But what they kept doing was just adding one big thing on top of another big thing. And it just didn't really make sense. Was that staircase to heaven in the movie? I don't remember. I thought she like murdered her mom in the house. Yeah, she did. She goes home and originally in the show, that is exactly what happened. But then somewhere along the line, someone was like, Hey, what is heaven and nobody's dead? (laughs) I mean, at least, at least in American in Paris, I'll build a stairway to paradise yes. with a new step every day. It's like <laughs> it's written in the show. Yes. I don't know. I don't either. Uh, there were other problems such as inexperience of the creatives involved. Um, they were over choreographed dance numbers that were also very frenetic uh, sets and costumes that didn't match the middle America setting of the original story. Um, Because they were dressed in weird, like, 
almost Grecian-inspired togas these girls in gym class were. Right from So in the very beginning of the show, you're seeing all of these supposedly high school girls, but in these like weird toga outfits, you know, doing their calisthenics for gym class. And it just doesn't, you know, this is supposed to be middle America, like in, in the middle school. of nowhere in high school. Just do that. Right. Right. I'll get into that. Oh, dear. (laughs) By the time New York previews began, they missed the deadline for the Tony Awards that year, and they had very little advanced sales, and most of the money had already been depleted. The show is completely dependent on reviews because they were out of money at this point, which evidenced by the audiences no one should have expected good reviews. They had no money to run the show for even a few weeks in hopes of finding its audience, which honestly, I do. I will say that if they could have run for that couple of weeks, I think they might have. Like it may have become one of those shows like Rocky Horror Show mm-hmm. or like a cult Evil Dead. One of yeah. those shows where people are like, yeah, we go to see that. But it's like a total B show. Uh, let's see. King's novel dramatized Carrie's supernatural powers set against a realistic, average, and typically middle American town and school. Terry Hands, the director, opted for a non-realistic, abstract production inspired by Greek tragedy and morality plays. You just say the word morality plays and I'm like, boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> morality plays. I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> it just sounds like he's trying to add... He's trying, like, the story he wants to already has enough, yeah. like, to it, where you didn't have to, like, heap on something else and totally. add to it and destroy it. Well, it almost makes me feel like, you know, the people that are coming in are like, yes, carry the musical, it's going to be so, so great, but... Mm-hmm. Let's do it a little differently. Let's. I'm going to put my mark on this. Like, I don't want to just be known as the guy that did carry the movie on Broadway. Like, I want to really make my mark in this. Um, audiences sat through scenes that were alternately thrilling and then absolutely ridiculous. So even the audience, you know, would give these standing ovations and then they would be thrown into the next scene, which was just utterly absurd. By all accounts, if this show had succeeded, Buckley and Hatley would have been well on their way to stardom. Both were said to have given unforgettable performances. I would have killed to see them both. Like, I think that would have been really amazing. I have, don't tell anyone, I have some... some audio recordings of the show um, that I fell off the back of a truck. Um, (laughs) But, and they're terrible. It's taken from the soundboard so that it's very unclear and you can't really tell what the words are, but anything that Betty Buckley sings and really anything that Lindsay Hatley sings is just so gorgeous. Gorgeous. Um, And also then, though it was most definitely a flop and there is no no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Unlike other flops, it was never a dull show. So that's why I think that if they had been able to keep it open for just a few weeks, mm-hmm. they really would have found a, 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 a fan base. So how, how long was it open again? It was 15 performances. No, I'm sorry, 15 previews and five performances. Five. Okay. Yeah, it's not five. Even a whole eight show week. No. No, I know. The ad, though, this is what this kind of... um. It's still not as bad as Kelly. No, that's true. That's very true. And not as bad as some of the other shows. I think he puts the... Carrie as the marker because it was so absurd. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was like, how... how every step of the way, how could you not know that it was not going to work? Yeah. 
because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but what I think is really kind of funny is that there was an ad that, you know, was on, on top of all the taxis and you would have the billboards mm-hmm. and probably in the trains at the time that said, there's never been a musical like her. <laughs> Which is very true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just make me laugh a little bit. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting. I'll go back because I didn't I don't think I mentioned all of the cast of characters or maybe I did. But I want to make sure that everyone knows. So Lawrence Cohen wrote the screenplay and the book for the musical. Dean Pitchford wrote the lyrics. Michael Gore wrote the music. And those were the three that were all inspired by mm-hmm. Lulu. Terry Hands was brought in as the director, and he was also the art director for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And there is some uh, some of the research that I found said that he uh, he kind of blamed it on the fact that he had never really put up any kind of big show before. Mm-hmm. He directed this at Stratford upon Avon as well as Broadway, so he was one of the transfers from the UK. But the thing is, like then they went on to say that he had just produced this really huge production the year prior. So there is, you know, some conjecture that, that maybe he was just trying to blame it on the fact that he was inexperienced, even though he was not. So there, you know, look, we all make mistakes, right? You know, we could be the the most fabulous people in the whole entire world. And you are not ever going to go through your life without making one or two raw big whoppers mm-hmm. of mistakes. And this was just one of Terry hands. So unfortunately, um, Debbie Allen, as I mentioned, was the choreographer, uh, and this was based on Stephen King's novel. It, this is a short and a sweet one, but it's so fascinating. Yeah. I will say, and I didn't, um, everything was so visual. There were so many sources of information as far as critiques were concerned, mm-hmm. and they were all so terrible mm-hmm. and almost on the cusp of being mean. So I didn't want to include them. But yeah. you can definitely, I mean, like, check them out. You All you need to do is Google Carry the Musical and they'll come up. But there was some video that, oh, yes. that you had found. <laughs> that was, I, I just remember watching it and you guys can't see my face, but like I just, <laughs> my eyes were bugging out. My mouth was hanging open and I was like, this is so... Rough. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and why th- what she's talking about is video of the actual musical. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene in particular. No, no, I'm oh. talking about the reviews. Oh, the reviews. Oh man, the reviews were the, like, yeah. Woof. You guys can you guys can go on YouTube just like she mm-hmm. said, and you could just like Google, carry the musical carry the reviews, reviews, maybe. Yeah, and you'll see. I mean, this like some 19. Everybody looks like they're from the 1980s. <laughs> Feathered hair. It's. It's Feather hair, we don't care. Suits, yeah, I mean, it's the whole deal. Um, and they were, they were, they uh, did not, they didn't pull any punches. No. <laughs> but it was in, there is also some video of the actual musical within those reviews, mm-hmm. and like you know when I I mentioned the toga uniforms before, but then like these girls would go from like this innocent white fog-filled stage to the next scene being like full spandex cat suits gyrating with their boyfriends talking about going to prom and it's like it's real raunchy and I don't know like it's just I mean it's certainly not my taste as far as the dancing is concerned but it's it just doesn't it's you within a musical your dancing and your music and your story all have to mesh and each of those aspects have to continue the story. Mm-hmm. And so it 
some of the accounts that I read or that I listened to, you know, said that it just didn't, you would be in the story and then all of a sudden this dance number would come and just like, whoa, what's going on now? Yeah, and then you, you back out. Exactly. So that's unfortunate as well. I guess what we can learn from this particular musical is to, if you've got a good script to begin with, keep it. Yeah. Don't try to, you know, don't make something special if it doesn't need to be. I I believe it was um, Charles Strauss on uh, the Behind the Curtain. He had a two-parter on that podcast, and he was talking about Annie. It's either him or Martin Charnin. But uh, one of them, they go now to like all of the regional performances Mm -hmm. of Annie. That's adorable. Yeah. (laughs) And um, they they really have uh, a foothold on making sure that these productions are as true uh, to what they created as possible. And, And one of the things he said was, he's like, you don't need to add more right. to the story already. Like you don't need to try and like do some reinterpretation. Right. It just is what it is. Right. And you just need to stay true to what's written and you just need to stay true to the story. Yes. And I feel like, you know, to be honest right now, even on Broadway and off Broadway, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of these um uh what I I'm, I'm blanking on what the term is, but a framing device. Yes. I'm seeing a lot of framing devices that I don't need. Yeah. Well, and I just read <laughs> a review about the Glass Menagerie, and I know mm-hmm. that you really liked the Glass yeah. Menagerie, but I read a review was that New was York saying, Times? I think so. Yeah, I know he doesn't. He that was like kind of saying then. that same thing. Now, I can't speak to that because I never saw the show, but mm-hmm. there is something to be said. Oh, Oh, I know. I was just thinking about this while you were telling that story, and then I forgot. But then I remembered. Uh, I took an acting class once. And the very first day, the instructor said, tell me the story of Jack and Jill. And so, like, I went into detail. I was like, well, uh, Jack and Jill, who I assume are brother and sister, walked up the hill together. And they were going to – they needed to get some water because the plumbing was out. You know, I just made this elaborate story. I don't remember exactly what I said. And he goes, no, tell me the story of Jack and Jill. And it really ended up being Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down. Bumped his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. That is the story. You don't need to change it. You don't need to embellish it. It is what it is. And, you know, interpretation Mm -hmm. of whatever the script that you were given, that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But to change that story is a detriment to the show itself. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I wonder what Stephen King would have thought of if, I don't know if he saw it. That would be kind of cool, sure. too, if he's... I, I'm sure I he did. He all right. And there. scene. <laughs> that was all I had. Break a leg. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.